I didn't learn French, so and then that side of the family, they all say Jackwis. Okay. <laughs> They're all from or, or Western New York and um, Canada. But when I moved to Los Angeles, everybody wanted to say Hakis. Oh. As if it was Spanish, yeah. Yeah, perfect. But I think it would be Jaqui, maybe. I don't know. I learned Spanish and Hebrew, not French, so I have no idea. Okay. The name of my space here is Médicain Saint Frontier, which is uh, stolen from Médicain Saint Frontier. So it's Mexican without borders. Yes. And uh, it causes a lot of confusion because nobody knows exactly what's going on here. It was kind of a poke in the eye. Uh, to the Bush administration when it was becoming very anti-immigrant. Yeah, which is still clearly relevant. Right. Where? What city are you in again? I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. What brought you there? Well, um, when I was a kid, I used to draw like my 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 dad's friends. They would come over for coffee and have cigarettes, and they would sit there for for hours, and I could just draw them. So I had a cousin from Grand Rapids come in 1977, and they uh, told me about the school in Grand Rapids, uh, Kendall College of Art and Design. Yeah. And uh, it was one of the top 10 art schools in the country. They didn't mention there was only 11, so. <laughs> and you were, where were you living before? I live in Guadalajara, Mexico. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you just came to the U.S. for school? Well, I wanted to go to art school, and uh, it was the only one that I knew of. And uh, I was kind of a, my, my father had passed away the year before, uh -huh. and uh, I told my mother I wanted to go to the States and become an artist. And I thought it was going to be this big, this big deal, a big play. And she goes, "When are you leaving?" How long have you been there? Uh, 38 years. Wow. Yeah. So you like it? I kind of sucked here. <laughs> I like it okay. Welcome to season two of We Are All Americans. This is episode two, conversations about how family stories are passed down from generation to generation and what it means to be American in the context of multiculturalism, immigration, military service, Black Lives Matter, white privilege, and indigeneity. I'm your host, Michelle Jacquis, and I'm here with Ugo Gladin, in who is joining me via video chat, um, as he is in Michigan and I'm in California. Welcome, Ugo. Hi. You saw this call for participants on Instagram, is that right? Can you tell me a little bit about why you were interested in participating in this conversation? Um. Well, a lot, a lot of it had to do with the, the climate, political climate, the border wall. Mm -hmm. When I was a child, I met a number of uh, expats living in Mexico, and they were um, very educated and uh, seemed very, like very cool people. And so I wanted to come here, and uh, I ended up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, not knowing a lot about the area or the politics or Grand Rapids. Uh, I was in for a shot coming from the uh, city of Guadalajara, which is the second largest city in Mexico. Um, I came to Grand Rapids, the second city in Michigan, and I thought I was going to fly 30 years to the future. 
I've I've only been I've been to Detroit once briefly. I've never been to Grand Rapids. What is it like there? Because I mean, I imagine cold, but I, culture culturally, I don't know what it's about. It's it, it's cold. Uh, not only in uh, it, it, the climate is cold, but the, the the people are not very warm. Ah. Uh, it's a very conservative town, uh, mostly run by a very rich family that owns the Amway company or the Amway company. Oh, I didn't know that's where they're headquartered. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, and uh, Dick DeVos is the son of Rich DeVos, and uh, he's married to Betsy, mm-hmm. our education secretary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of uh, community outreach work in the field. Uh, Originally, I started working with a Latino community doing uh, health outreach, and then I switched to doing uh, education outreach. Uh, and I was working in a lot of uh, marginalized communities. Right now, I'm working doing uh, checking homes for lead, which is a big problem here, also in communities of color. And one day, I made a color map of the areas where I was going to go a flyer uh, meetings that we had on education because kids weren't graduating school. And I noticed that the maps of Grand Rapids were uh, very green in the rich parts of town and very brown in not so rich parts of town. And then I matched these maps with maps of redlining. And they were the same maps, the same mm-hmm. that you could see that are red lines, uh, those brown fields. Uh, yeah. So um, these things all kind of overlapped, and I started putting a lot of information that I was getting as a health worker together with the information I was seeing in the news, seeing that things were real life stuff. And uh, the way that uh, Black people Sounds like also you've taken on a lot of responsibility in bringing those issues out to the forefront. Well, I, I seem to do. I, a lot of it is just a little, you know, Facebooking, and I don't really use Twitter, but uh, I, I I have gained a little bit of leverage uh, as an artist, as a musician, as a painter, as a photographer. And so I've gained um, a little bit of a voice, and um, I've been into trouble. So. You've gotten into trouble? Is that what uh, you said? I, 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 yeah, I raised hell. I, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your family background and, and how you arrived in the U.S.? Sure. My father was... Uh, Musician, talent scout. 
He was uh, born in Chicago. He was an American um, Caucasian. And uh, he he worked at, he played in big bands with Charlie Barnett. Hmm. And then uh, he got uh, hired to work at a place called Regent City uh, on Clinton and Vine. And that store turned into Capitol Records. Glenn Wallach owned that store. And um, him and uh, Johnny Mercer started Capitol Records. And they brought my father along to become a talent scout because he was very immersed in the jazz scene and the, knew all the musicians and all the aspiring artists at the time. He had been married to an American woman and she passed away. She had cancer for hmm. the 40. So my father went around the world on a cruise liner. And uh, one of the, the idea of actually uh, ending up in Spain, uh, that was the hit place to retire. And uh, one of his last stops was in Acapulco. And my mother was on Tancatama Beach. And they met and they off. My mother had been married to a Mexican uh, alcoholic, abusive, and she ran off my bed. They were going to make their way. He had a house in Palm Springs, and uh, the border was closed down because uh, Kennedy was murdered. So they turned around and they settled in Guadalajara, hmm. just one year later. And your mom is originally from Mexico? See, my mom is originally from Mexico and she still lives down there. Oh, okay. She's, uh, well, she was a seamstress when I was growing up. She made dresses for everybody. To make ends meet, my mom was renting a room to a woman from Liberia that was staying with us. And one day she asked me what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I was very sad because, we, you know, my dad had passed away. The, the peso had been devalued, and uh, I had this idea that I wanted to be a painter and an artist. And uh, she told me about student loans. Mm. Like, well, you could always take a student loan, and um, you could go to art school. That was a really bad idea, but I'll be done paying for school when I'm 187. <laughs> But I only paid mine off because we, uh, when the economy crashed the most recent time, my husband and I bought a condo and we refinanced it two years ago and I pulled money out to pay off my loans, but we we're still paying off my husband's. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, congratulations. <laughs> it feels sort of like I did it, but I didn't, you know? Yeah. Well, anyway, I, um, I talked to my mom and she said, yeah, when, when are you taking off? And then. I was very surprised because I thought it was going to be a big battle. And uh, I said, next year I'd like to go. And so I came here in 1980. And that was the year that John Lennon was shot. Mm -hmm. He was one of the greatest artists of my generation. And there he was, shot in America. So that was kind of my perspective on how America liked artists. Yeah, that's a nice welcome. Yeah. So that was, uh, I eventually did go to Arkendall 
and I was at school during the, I don't know if you remember, but uh, Robert Maplethorpe uh, put out a photograph of him picking up his thumb, mm-hmm. and uh, Jesse Helms didn't like it. That was the end of uh, funding for individual artists through the NEA. Yes. And that was kind of a line in the sand. And uh, I took a walk through the halls and I looked at the art, and uh, everything was like Van Gogh and Rembrandt. And this was like 1998, 1998. So they're trying to look like artists that lived 200 years ago. And uh, you know, I was spending a lot of time in the library looking at our books and the magazines to see that uh, modern art didn't look like anything that I was learning about in school. So um, I dropped out and, uh, you know, wanted to find the, the underground of Grand Rapids. And, uh, I opened a warehouse that it, mm. I called it the Jesus Free Zone uh, because it's a conservative. And then I just started meeting, I started working at a bookstore and I met all the poets, the writers, the musicians, and started finding out where the happening cats were. And uh, just got really immersed in all that scene, um, alternative art spaces and alternative uh, music venues. Because of my father's interest in jazz, I, I, I started looking for the contemporary jazz scene. Um, there wasn't much here at the time, uh, but I knew some people that were interested in bringing jazz, contemporary jazz, or avant-garde jazz to Grand Rapids. And I just immersed myself in the hmm. and, and you've you've stayed in Grand Rapids since then? Um, I lived in LA for a little bit. Um, I thought that as a Latino, I, I would have a easier time of it there. But it was during the crack wars, and uh, I got assaulted on the beach a couple of times. And hmm. I decided I wanted to go back to Florida Grand Rapids. Yeah, I will. I didn't live in LA at the time. At that time, I moved here in two thousand. I also didn't like spending many hours in the car every day. Yeah. I've lived in five different states, and this is the longest I've lived somewhere. And it's probably the one of the few. That and the cost of living, I think, is the only thing I really don't like about Los Angeles. Otherwise, I really enjoy being here. Well, find, finding the underground in Grand Rapids is pretty simple. But in L.A., everything is spread out. and I didn't mm-hmm. know about the history of LA and Yeah, I feel like it's a place that takes a couple years of figuring out, a couple years of being here before you figure it out, and then you're still figuring it out. Yeah, <laughs> I know a lot more about it now. Yeah, reading um, about Dennis and uh, our galleries there back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the Latino scene, I don't know much about it. Um, it was a very difficult time because uh, because of the crack work, the 
the Filipinos were against the Hondurans, and the Hondurans were against the Puerto Rican gangs, and it was just a shit show. Yeah. So did you end up getting dual citizenship between U.S. and Mexico? I, I did have uh, dual citizenship, so it was very easy. I just jumped on a plane. I didn't really know what a Chicano was. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what a wetback was. I, I wasn't familiar with all these and um, so I, I came in a very naive way. Um, I expected to find those intellectual people that I met in Mexico and um, not the masters. It's not a hotbed of intellectualism. Did you find you were disappointed or did you it just took heart longer or more effort to find it it's just a, a cultural shock i was a skate punk in mexico and then uh, most of the kids in my classroom here in michigan could in the squirrel with their eyes shut oh. you know they would go hunting nobody knew what a skate punk was <laughs> you should have gone to los angeles <laughs> to begin with yeah. Well, I had, a, I had a friend who lived there, but he was getting off all kinds of trouble. So my mom just yeah, I think it's it's interesting when, especially when you're going somewhere for college. I mean, I, I ended up at, I was living in South Florida um, when I was in middle school and high school and ended up in Hartford, Connecticut at Hartford Art School for undergrad. And really had kind of no idea where I was going. And I flew, I think I flew out for a weekend to just sort of check out the school and decide if that's really where I wanted to go. But in my head, I had, um, I had been, you know, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York. So I had, you know, been there and I had been to Long Island and New York City but never to New England and didn't quite understand even geographically where New England was in relationship to New York until I got there. Um, and Hartford was similar to a little, not, not in the hunting sense, but um, I felt like the art scene there was only people associated with Hartford Art School. Not, there wasn't much else happening in that town. Everything shut up. Everything shut down at five o'clock. I was in art school in the nineties. I think it's a little different there now, but it was a pretty dead city. What were you starting to say about Buffalo? Oh, they, they have a great jazz team up there. Um, there was a producer named Carl Berger, and he recorded with a lot of uh, musicians from Europe and kind of made a bridge between uh, that whole scene and uh, American avant-garde. Yeah, my my mom and sister and I left Buffalo when I was 11, so I never really experienced much beyond like playing in the snow. <laughs> I didn't get a lot of culture there. Yeah, and I have never gone back, so I don't know. What do you think it means to be American? Um, you know, when when my when my dad lived in Mexico. Being an American, you kind of had a air of uh, fairness, I guess. Uh, 
honesty, hmm. um, industrious. He he fought in the Second War. He, he never talked much about that. Um, he was also in the uh, uh, Philippines. What branch of the military was he in? I don't know. Huh. Uh, like I said, he, he didn't like talk about it. Yeah. He did say it was the stupidest thing he ever did. But going back to your question, I, I think there was a certain element of coolness associated with being an American, like the, the, the beats for me um, were uh, very inspirational, uh, the, the jazz musicians. But after being in Grand Rapids uh, this long, I, I have a very different idea of what the I think it's become meaner, greedier, ignorant. And it's kind of sad. I mean, as, you know, my, my dad died believing all the nonsense about um, how we're the good guys. That sort of American exceptionalism, like we're the best country in the world, or. Yes. And um, Grand Rapids is a really great uh, place to learn about you know, politics and infrastructure and circles uh, of power uh, because it's very small, so it's, it's, it's easier to comprehend. Uh, but I'll give you a good example. Mm -hmm. There's no train linking Grand Rapids to Detroit, and that was because of the uh, GMS board that's going to benefit from that. Well, it's the same in Los Angeles. The reason why we didn't have a train going to the airport was because of the car industry wanting us to drive. Yeah. So I just, I just think that it's so dumb that like if the people can't fight the little power that there is to get a, a train, you know, we uh, right now the, the the new governor here won't be able to do anything about education because the governor that's leaving, the Republican governor that's leaving, uh, just wrote a bill before he left, snuck it in. Uh, they're going to use uh, funds from um, schools to fix roads. How can they? Ha he, so he's just sort of reappropriating the funds out of one. Yeah. Wow. And everybody in I'm stuck with that for years, you know. So this this woman who's a Democrat that won won't be able to do a lot of things that she says she she's going to change because before he left, he not getting these bills, they're going to make their life impossible. And of course, they're going to say, oh, see, this woman wasn't, wasn't able to do anything. Yeah, they're going to blame it all on her. It, it's similar to what I feel like happened to Obama, where everything he came thinking he would be able to accomplish was just hit with roadblock after roadblock, and then he's, and then the Republicans blame him. Right. 
Well, it, it's interesting because uh, I, was, I was working a lot in the community here, and I was getting a lot of requests for um, people to get Latino folks a lot, which I did gladly. I, I played campaign that supported more people than Bush. And so that was a very difficult situation for me because I would go out public for like, hey, is Michigan in itself much more Republican, even though they have a um, Grand Rapids has a has a Democratic? It's heavily gerrymandered. Uh, yeah, you were describing starting to talk about getting sort of flack for voting for Obama. What kind of conversations were those? What were those conversations like? Well, people would say, uh, I remember, you know, when, when I was working in the community, uh, people would ask for advice, which would be vote for, which would be better for us to vote for Obama, which would be no. And I was like, yeah, if I, I believe that would be a better choice. And then once the, you know, immigration started doing raids in this kind of neighborhood, which would totally paralyze the community. Um, I was in charge of trying to get people to come to these school meetings I told you about earlier. And the, 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 the town looked like a ghost town because, you know, there'd been a raid. Uh, I should show up and the, the local police would accompany them. Mm. Um, so the whole neighborhood would come to a standstill and nobody would walk their kids to school. Nobody would go to work. They certainly didn't want to go to school meetings. What countries are most of the immigrants from in that city? Uh, mostly Mexico, but we have uh, Honduras, Salvadoran, and Guatemala. Mm. And uh, then I'm imagining a lot of undocumented? Yeah, so we have a lot of uh, orchards here. We have a lot of apples. Uh, what about the, lo the locals that people who've been in in that city for a long time or who've grown up in there do they what's the local sentiment like in re, in response to the immigrants um well as an example i can tell you that um there's a there's a group here that's very active uh with latino based grassroots um, um they're trying to get uh driver's licenses for immigrants mm -hmm. and they're also there are other uh large goal is to get uh, our county to break their uh, contract with uh, ICE. Uh, to become a sanctuary city? Oh, that, that was not accepted. That was flat out rejected. Um, so they, they the essential went after the ending the contract. Hmm. And, and that's the game they played here in, uh, uh, in up with a lot in politics. It's like, well, we, we'll conduct a uh, a year study and see what those things, those results are going to be. And you know, I don't know if you know this, but uh, in Grand Rapids, we also had riots, um, like the ones in Detroit in the 60s. Mm. The, the, uh, the Black community here has uh, it, been fighting for the same thing for 50 years. Yeah. So, what are the things that they rioted over? Were um, lack of jobs, police brutality. 
and she's cool. Those three issues are still with us today. Mm -hmm. um, but every year they'll say, like, we're, oh, we're, we'll conduct a study and we'll get back to you. And that's how they just keep postponing uh, any kind of action forward. And is this tied still, like, to the maps you were doing? Yeah. Um, uh, so the, the, the segregation in schools, uh, how we tax schools, uh, right here, uh, Betsy and her clan, the DeVosses, are a huge proponent of charter schools where they can have uh, Jesus, they can have prayers in schools, But it's all tied to real estate. And so the redlining that I told you about, mm -hmm. um, the inequality in uh, jobs, um, health, all these things are, 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 are kind of tied together for me because the red line zones are where the immigrants and Black people live. From your observation, what's the relationship like between the local black people and the immigrant population? Well, I think the media has done a great job of um, dividing those communities, even though they have the exact same, well, let me back up, they don't have the exact same problems, but the majority of the, the same problems are the same. Mm -hmm. uh, access to healthcare, mental health, purchasing uh, homes, they're all, they're all the same problem uh, with the Hispanics having the, the problems with the language. Mm -hmm. But I think that the, the media has created such a uh, negative view of immigrants that it made a lot of the Black people fear that they might lose their jobs or whatever little resources they might get. So it's it's like playing into the fears in order to divide them. Mm -hmm. So when I was doing education outreach, um, and, and this is kind of interesting because I was being paid um, by another DeVos family member, hmm. uh, the Dan DeVos Foundation, was conducting a uh, series of interviews to see why the children went graduating from school. This was to help prop their uh, their their need for charter school. Mm -hmm. But I would go out into the these neighborhoods and kind of through interviews assess what the the health of what the, the neighborhood was like. And every home that I went to, this is so funny. If I went to a white home. They would say, oh, this is a great neighborhood until the Mexicans came and the black people came. I'd go to a black home, they'd go, this is a great neighborhood until the whites and the Mexicans showed up. And if I went to a Mexican home, they'd go, this is a great uh, neighborhood until the, the whites and blacks showed up. So wow. um, I can report that everybody hated each other equally. That's so heartbreaking. I know. 
but in a sense, there is a sense of equality there. Yeah, I guess it's fair. <laughs> Do you feel like you've ever experienced any harassment or discrimination living in the U.S., or particularly in Grand Rapids? Um, there's a lot of microaggressions. Mm. I, I didn't really have the vocabulary to outline a lot of these things for you, but uh, as a Mexican, I'm always like the shadiest person in the, in the job environment. If I'm late, I get more punishment than the other employees mm. that you're being Mexican because, you know, Mexicans are like the other thing. Um, so things like that. I've had my past some job opportunities as well. You said you've, you've had to pass them up? No, no I've, I've been passed over. Oh, been passed over, yeah. But things like that. I think I, I also don't have a very heavy Latin accent. I, I and, and this might be just my imagination, but I find that if I talk more like these, I might be able to build more painting if I did more exercises. You think you'd be able to sell more paintings if you talked how? If, if I had uh, if I had a more deep accent, I'd be more exotic. Oh yeah, yeah. But now I have then you could really be a Chicano painter. But, right. Exactly. So yeah, and then uh, mm. I'm I'm not brown enough to be uh, very Mexican, and I'm not white white enough to be white. So I'm kind of in middle uh, middle gray area. Yeah, I I it's a really common description that I've heard from others that I've also feel like I've experienced like that sense of when you're either biracial or or bicultural or multicultural or multiracial that that sense of not quite fitting into either is makes a lot like I get that a lot because I I look more like my father's side of the family um and have his name so everybody's like oh you don't look Jewish your last name's not Jewish and and but then I'm not a, I'm an atheist and I'm not really connected to the Jewish community so um well that's that's another impediment for me like I'm not completely connected with the Hispanic community because I'm not uh, I'm not a Catholic. So yeah, but I was raised by the Jewish side of my family because my father wasn't around. So I don't even I don't know many people on my father's side or anything about them beyond that they were probably originally French Canadian and lived on the along the border of New York and Canada. So it's an interesting predicament of kind of, you know, not not fitting in either of those places. But, you know, uh, the, the last time I went to Mexico was a, a, quite a while back. So it's probably like 15 years ago. Mm. And uh, I went to visit my sister who lives on Lake Chapala. It's a very nice little lake. It's the biggest uh, freshwater body in, in Mexico. And all the houses on the perimeter around the lake are bought by Americans. I would be willing to say 
80% of them are there illegally. <laughs> Probably. And nobody can afford to live there anymore. Nobody that lived in this town of Chapala, uh, they all have to move out to the outskirts of the town. And as I drove through the town, they had a Rolls-Royce uh, car place. They had a Lamborghini. Wow. It was incredible. All, you know, they had McDonald's, they had uh, all kinds of branding stores. And I don't think a lot of Americans realize how many illegals of us are out there, uh, you know, making life impossible for the people that live there. So it was the same way in Baja. When I was in Baja, all the Americans owned um, beach property. Yeah. So like, a lot of locals can't get to the beach because all the houses are all Are they privatizing that area then? You, you can't privatize the beach. Uh -huh. they, uh, they get around it by buying all the property so that you can't get access. That Yeah, and that's happened in parts of Malibu out here too where they're trying. There's a lot of gated communities down there. Wow. I've only been down there once, and I and now that you mention it, I'm like, yeah, I don't think we got to the beach. I don't know. I, all, I think all this bullying that we've done and uh, military bullying that we've done, uh, the dirty words, the CIA stuff. I mean, you know, when I got here in the '80s, none of the kids I went to school knew about. The stuff that was going on in Colombia and El Salvador. No, I mean, I didn't learn about that until maybe 10, 15 years, yeah, way after it was over. I mean, I sort of knew about the Iran Contra stuff and Nicaragua, but not, I was a kid and I it was sort of like, I knew what something weird, shady was happening, but I didn't know the details of it. Um, and, and it's not taught in school. Right. And it's and it's interesting to to see what ha is happening in in Europe, all the countries that we bombed in the last fifteen years, all that stuff is coming to bite them in the ass, right? So the yeah, people that live in Libya and Syria and all those places are are making their way to Europe, and there's a huge anti-immigrant thing going on there. It's crazy to me to that even our government, I feel like, ignores the fact that they are the root cause of why people are leaving Central America or what, or the same like you described in Europe. The irony is that, you know, like uh, the British Empire, they were everywhere. Mm -hmm. So now they're complaining that they're being invaded. Pretty funny. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing here. You know, when when uh, when you think of uh, you, you're asking me where all the immigrants were from here, it's like El Salvador and Honduras, all the places where we played played journey for the last I don't know hundred years. I mean, we when you think of the price of a banana and a pineapple, that's 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 surreal. Ninety nine cents for a pound of bananas. A lot of people died for that. Right.
Yeah, it's just sort of, it's crazy how it gets back to and totally connected to what you were talking about with education system, because if we're not taught this, we're not able to learn from it and to change the way things are done. Everything is great. I mean, from what we're being taught, right? So what we see is like the economy is being great. America is great. Are there a lot of Trump supporters where you live? Well, you don't really see the red caps a lot. Um, but I'll tell you the we, we, we have a big uh, center here called the DeVos Center and they have mm-hmm. were gonna have him um, the night before the election. Mm-hmm. Instead he sent uh, Pence. And uh, I I asked a friend of mine uh, who's Mexican to drive me to the store and he made a long turn and we passed right in front of that building hmm. and i knew right then that he was going to win because there were so many people downtown this was like on a monday night and i had never seen the downtown full of people and they were wearing t-shirts that had ak 47 on them wow and they were like rah, 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 rah. and they were like when we drove past they were pounding on our windows like that. And I, I knew that she was just no problem. Wow. Uh, so they're, they're, they're out there, but they, they're not publicly just as much support. I can't even imagine that. To me, that like idea of a t-shirt with an AK-47 is yeah, so crazy. That's so crazy. It's, it's, I, you know, I have a few, I have a friend from high school that's, that lives up in Alaska and he was in the Marines for a little while and went AWOL and he's in, you know, like he lives in Alaska, but he, and he has guns, but it's literally just for hunting and he's very concerned about losing guns for that reason, but there's no reason we need an AK-47. I, uh, in, in the 52 years that I have, I've never had a use for a dot for anything. I have, yeah, I've not any interest in them at all. I was sort of shocked when we were visiting family in Florida in August, and my husband's cousin, one of his cousins, lives in um, like the next town over from Parkland, where the school shooting happened, and his wife was uh, kind of driving us through town and and almost this like weird tourist version of the shooting. She was like, and that street was blocked off and that's the school and that's where the shooter lives. And I couldn't get my kids, pick up my kids because all these roads are blocked off. And she was really freaked out. And she was talking a lot about, she's from Jamaica originally. And she's talking a lot about how, you know, we came here because we thought it was going to be safer. And we, in Florida than in Jamaica and we picked this town because of the schools being really good and good place to raise our kids and now all of this is happening but then we got back to their house and her kids were playing with guns like plastic orange ones but still and I was very shocked by that and they were you know my child is four I think her kids are maybe five and and six or seven and and just watching them like my son has never had access to that so them shooting each other pretending to shoot each other and it was kind of like wait 
you don't see the connection <laughs> about this. Right. Um, it was really, really bizarre. We had a, a commercial in, uh, in Mexico when I was a kid, probably like in 1975. Uh, the telephone company had an ad. It was kind of strange, but kind of woke me up a little bit. My, my dad used to watch the John Wayne movies shooting the Indians and all that. Right. Oh, um, this this commercial uh, it's a scene where uh, Tonto and the Lone Ranger are behind these rocks and they're, they're, they're shooting and uh, the Lone Ranger looks at Tonto and says Tonto the Indians have, have us surrounded and then Tonto turns around and points his gun at the Lone Ranger and says we King Wasabi and what he's saying is that we're the we're the Indians. Right? Mm. I'm I'm the Indian. I'm I'm, I'm at the other end of the barrel. Mm-hmm. So that kind of really changed my mm. my ideas of how I used to see the U.S. that my dad portrayed as the hero, and the, the liberator, and you know the hearts and minds people. Um, after uh, reading a lot about what happened in Central America uh, and the CIA, um, I started changing my views. And, uh, I, I left the Catholic Church when I was 13, but I still kind of subscribed a little bit to the liberation theology stuff. And then when I was in art school, one of the models had a um, coat bag that was very obviously from Guatemala. And I said, oh, I, I like your bag. Uh, you travel to Guatemala. And he's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a peace activist. And I go down there uh, kind of as a witness and uh, a human shield. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, wow, that's really interesting. Uh, it turns out that this guy ran a commune not very far from the school where I went to. And I ended up living uh, there for seven years. And he had an incredible library. And because I worked at the bookstore, I was getting him, passing him my discount, giving me all the Chomsky books. And um, I started, you know, reading more about um, the other side of American politics, which is not what you get on the news. And just kind of educating myself more about our nasty side, yeah. 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 So when you ask me what it means to be Amer- an American, you know, waving the flag around, that's not me. That's not how I, 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 I you know, you, you ask me about my dual citizenship, and um, it, it was hard to, to, to realize that this, this idea that my father had taught me about liberty and justice quality kind of a big joke mm-hmm. once, once I live here and then when I when I what I actually see on the street when, when I go into home and I see what black people live or I see where Latinos live uh, where contamination mm-hmm. is highest where uh, lead paint is still on the walls where 
uh, the school stock. It's a very different idea now. Yeah, and I think there's there's moments where I've come across conversations with people about this when where I feel like there's there's uh, all of a sudden like white people are noticing those conditions and starting to to and starting to like notice but maybe didn't care a problem it's becoming more of a problem and but i think it's it's almost like when people are white people are complaining oh i can't believe this is the condition and the people of color have been like we've been saying this for how many decades how many hundreds of years yeah now there's the cell phone right Project back on their Facebook and oh, here you are being ugly. Believe earlier in the conversation, I told you the three reasons why we had the riots here, and two years later, the same things that affect exact those communities are still with us. Yeah, it hasn't back been fixed. Cell phones, but it didn't show you, but now we can show you. Yeah, I, I just, um, we have an exhibition at the Hammer Museum in LA of Adrian Piper's work. And I just saw again, I don't remember the title of the work, but there's a there's a piece where it's two booths that you can go in and they're really narrow. So it's only one person at a time sits down and one is showing the um, video footage of Rodney King being beaten. And behind is like a photograph of, I think President Bush and a few other people. And then it's, it, it again, sort of feels like that, again, was like the beginning of like being average people having access to a small handheld video, probably high eight camera, but getting that footage, this, this like, we weren't using the term citizen journalist yet, but I think that seems, that always seemed to me like um, a really important moment that where somebody who wasn't, a professional journalist captured something that we weren't paying attention to, but was happening all the time. Right. Well, we, here we have the the problem Flint, mm -hmm. the water. Yeah. But what what I do is I check homes for lead paint, mm -hmm. uh, mostly in Hispanic and Black neighborhoods, and a lot of the white people in the town think that that problem was over, just like they think racism is over. Right. And when I describe some of the conditions of the home to my friends, they're like, that's just appalling. How can this happen? Um, a lot of the people that sit on the commission board here are renters of the same types of houses that I go visit. Uh. They don't want to change any of the regulations. Because it'll cost them money. It's all comes down to money. All about money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty frustrating. <laughs> what are you most hopeful for, and what are you most fearful of? Well, I'm too old to be fearful anymore. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I mean, what? Uh, I've been homeless uh, for 
I do see little, I, I don't want to say points of light, uh, but like little little things that happen. Uh, you know, people becoming activists, so the, the part time kids. Mm -hmm. uh, I think through the defunding of public education, I see a big impact in the arts here locally, music, the musicianship is not good. Uh, I try to talk about some of the ideas I talked with you on uh, recording. Um, with with younger people, and there's there's some interest in creating experiences that's different from what we're fed. I think that uh, there's like a gap store mentality that like we all dress a certain way, we all have a certain coffee house. Mm -hmm. There's you know the the old punk venues and art galleries are disappearing. Nobody can afford those spaces anymore. Um, so just trying to get younger people to organize around simple things like that, having a place where they can express their ideas, where they can be different, dress however they want, just do whatever they want. Um, there's a little bit of hope in that area, I think. People are becoming a little more aware of some of the things that we talked about. And so I guess that that's the, the the idea that some people are resisting what what is served to us. Mm -hmm. um, that you know you don't have to be the Olive Garden. It's much wiser to go to a mom and pop shop or things like that. That sense of like being in a really um, commercial homogenous culture, kind of watered down. Like this is this is all you have access to is one of the reasons why I want to stay raising my son in Los Angeles because I don't want him to live that way. What part are you in? I'm in um, Lincoln Heights, which is north of, technically I guess it's northeast LA, um, north of Chinatown. Okay. Yeah. I live down in Anaheim. Okay. Yeah. I went to Indiana for a conference uh, last month, and, I, mm -hmm. and it was just so sad to see, um, you know, these streets that look like identical to some of the streets here. It's just Burger King and the Pizza Hut, and like the, the same things over and over. It's a different town, but the same choices. Yeah, and I think the gated communities are very similar in that respect too. There's a lot of Orange County, California, that reminds me of South Florida, where things are beige houses all repeated with a gate and a security guard. And it's a very strange um, place that I don't want to live. <laughs> Is there anything else you can think of you want to talk about that we haven't already touched on? I, I I just think that when we look at some of the things like, you know, like austerity was a big word that was being um, 
talk around and as an excuse to cut certain some services and save another. And, um, I I went to uh, I went to a conference in Detroit, uh, like a Latinx thing. And mm -hmm. They wanted me to talk about running a small venue. Uh, and I talked about some of the jazz acts that I bring, and I talked a lot about, you know, they had questions about funding. I, I don't think any funding, you know, remember Jesse Helm, Jesse Helm mm -hmm. does no funding. So I kind of mm -hmm. learned to do my own thing and uh, create experiences and small events. But the things that are happening in Greece with uh, their austerity program, and I think the book, that's another product, you know, this austerity thing is just kind of like a, 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 an idea for you to use. So like the cutting funding and education for charter schools mm -hmm. and all these things are tied together. The, the sooner people understand that um, what we do in other places has direct consequences to our lifestyle here and that if we pollute and plant it'll have an effect in Grand Rapids or in Detroit or wherever. Um, trying to make those connections is I think really important. And in Mexico the Zapatistas rose up against neoliberalism. Mm -hmm and created autonomous communities. And I think that that's a good way to, to look at these things. It's like, we have big enemies um, that don't care about your health, clearly. They don't care about your education. They don't care about your pension. Um, if, if we are able to tie those things to lack of funding for kids to go to our program, and how it's boring to go outside and not see alternative events. Making that connection to younger people is going to have an impact. You know, uh, hiding things and keeping things out of textbooks is not going to make things better and make things worse. But if, if we can teach younger people how to resist and make those connections, I think that. Yeah, it, it connects to one of the reasons why I teach. I feel I've always felt, you know, I've been teaching for 20 years, both at-risk youth and kids with autism and at the college level. And I feel like it's always been one of those things that even if I could afford to make a living as an artist without having that supplemental income, I don't think I would give it up. It just seems too important. Well, a lot of artist types, they are, you know, I want to stay out of politics. Politics is not for me. It's too boring. I don't get it. Uh, I think that's what got us here. You know, a lot, a lot of people think to me that it's not their, it's not their worry. It's not their... Yeah, I, I think my work is getting even more and more political just because I don't know how else to deal with what's happening or how else to, re to respond to what's happening. Um, I don't, yeah, it's, that's sort of the only way I can 
deal with difficult things is make art? Small things have a big impact. You know? Yeah. Those shows where I'll bring a band from France, and if I'm lucky, 25 people will show up. And somebody always looks at me at the end like they feel sorry for me, like, oh, don't you wish 50 people would show up? And when I was younger, yes, I did. I, I, I did wish 50 people would show up, or 100 people. Or, um, but sometimes I'll walk down the street and the kid will grab me and say, I went to a show at your house and there was only like five people there. But it changed my life. Yeah. I started thinking through the public thing where I started painting differently, where I started paying more attention to the clarinet or whatever. People will remember it. You know, you said just doing a little thing here and there. And, you know, like I think of the, the, the Zapatistas, they didn't win a huge victory. They didn't, um, they didn't change the course of. Um, you know, the, the big political parties, mm -hmm. but they, they did create an autonomy zone in the state space. And just remembering that resistance that, you know, I mean, City Bank put a, 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 a number on his head, on Marco's head, you know, it wasn't the Mexican government and it wasn't the United States government. Mm -hmm. Bank that wanted him dead, and that really woke me up. It's like Citibank is more interested in killing the Zapatista leader than the U than the CIA or the Mexican government. Really, who's really running running the show here? Definitely. And probably City Citibank hates the type of events that I run here because I don't I don't take credit cards. I just do cash. And it's not written anywhere. I just do my own thing. I don't ask for funding from anybody, and I do my own programming. And um, and, and and the younger kids see me doing that. And now there's house concerts all over the all over the town. You know, those people are going to be good house concerts. So you've you've kept the DIY punk, yeah, uh, strategy from the 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 state, state, ooh, the state punk. Um, this has been really great. It's good to meet you. I, this is one of the instances where I've gotten to have a great conversation with someone I've never met before. And I, I like when this project has taken me outside of my circle of friends. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, thank you for participating.